What's going on? Happy Tuesday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Remember, get the podcast, wbt.com. And follow me on the Twitter machine at Pete Callender, where things get a little bit rowdy. Um, so uh, this is probably the biggest unreported story of the last 24 hours, not even 24 hours. I'm hearing nobody nobody talk about this. Um I don't have a lot of details. All I can tell you is Ron DeSantis cannot run for president anymore in 2024. I mean, unless he beats the homicide charge that he's obviously going to get after murdering Charlie Crist like about a dozen times last night. That was just terrible. Oh, it was awful. Charlie Crist just uh, just sacrificed by the political gods, I guess, or to the political gods. I don't know. Like, it, it was just brutal so if you uh if you get a chance <laughs> go check it out i know a lot of people on the left and in the media but i repeat myself for making a big deal about how desantis wouldn't answer the question as to whether or not he would uh serve out his entire term but i thought that was because they weren't supposed to be asking each other questions and so desantis wasn't even going to entertain the question uh also of course he doesn't want to answer the question because he probably is going to run for president but he doesn't know if he's going to run for president because donald trump might run for president if he does he may if Trump does, then he may not, whatever. But, yeah, there was another debate last night down in Florida. Charlie Chris did not do himself any favors last night. Um, so I, I, I highly encourage you to go check out some of, the, uh, some of the video. It was very rowdy, too. They had a lot. They did not stop the audience from, you know, hooting, hooting and hollering during the answer phase, and I've, I'm never a fan of that. So, um. What else? Uh, Michael Anderson is going to join us at one o'clock. He's running for North Carolina State House in the ninth, uh, 99th rather district, uh, North Charlotte area. That's at one o'clock. We'll talk with him. Uh, but first, I want to start with the Durham probe. The trial ended last week and I was out sick. I'm sorry. But the jury acquitted Igor Denchenko on all four counts of lying to the FBI in what is almost certainly the last prosecution that is going to be brought by the special counsel for the Russiagate investigation, John Durham. Andrew McCarthy, writing at National Review, said this was a very uphill case for the prosecution. Danchenko, Igor Danchenko was the primary subsource. What does that mean? The primary subsource. So Steele, Christopher Steele, author of the Steele dossier, right, that was paid for by the Clinton campaign, that was used by the FBI in order to get the FISA warrants against Carter Page and the Trump campaign uh, to launch this entire crossfire hurricane investigation and, and then uh, brief the president in what you know Jim Comey, the former FBI director, called a defensive briefing. Um, the Steele dossier, Christopher Steele, former MI6 spy guy from Britain, Christopher Steele, he relied on information from this guy named Igor. And first off, never trust a guy named Igor. That, that, like, maybe as an assistant, maybe. 
right? If you're working in a lab or something and he's your assistant, then maybe you can trust him, but you should definitely verify. Like if you ask him to give you some of this particular elixir, make sure he brings that elixir to you and doesn't spike it, whatever. I don't know. I'm just, maybe that's my anti, uh, is it Russo? Anti-Russo? Am I a Russophobe? Is that what? Yeah. It's anti-communism is really what it comes down to. I'm just, I was raised, you know, I was raised uh, a kid of the Cold War and, uh, you know, a kid of the Rocky movies. I don't trust anybody named Drago either for much the same reason. Also, he's very strong. Dragos tend to be very strong. I've heard. So uh, this was an uphill case. This guy, Danchenko, was a subsource for Christopher Steele. He was accused in all four counts that went to the jury for a verdict. All four counts were fabricating a single phone communication with a guy named Sergei Milian. That's another one. I don't, Sergei. That's, uh, that's borderline. That's on the cusp. Sergei, I'm kind of like, hmm, eh. Sergey Milian was loosely associated with Donald Trump. The prosecution alleges that the conversation never actually happened. I went over some of these details while the trial was going on about two weeks ago. Because there were no phone records that showed any call was ever made between the two men. Durham produced a message from Sergey Milian supporting the inference that he neither knows nor ever communicated with Igor Danchenko, right? So Milian was not able to be brought in for testifying because he was over in some country where they can't get him out. And because he was unable to come testify or unwilling to testify, all they had to go on was circumstantial evidence. They could say, all right, here's the phone records. There's no phone call made. Here's a statement from Sergey Milian telling the FBI that I never talked to these people or telling uh, Durham I never I never talked to these people. This guy, Igor Danchenko, don't know who he is. And that wasn't enough for the jury because Danchenko's lawyer said, well, you don't know. Maybe they called on like WhatsApp. Maybe they called on some sort of a, a hidden method, a hidden kind of platform. Uh, and, and so it was an, uh, it, it wasn't traceable. It wasn't a phone call in the traditional sense. And so it was hidden. And also, when you say that uh, my, my client, Danchenko, lied that Milian and he had spoken, it wasn't really a lie because you asked if they had spoken. He said uh, no, and it was because he emailed. So that was the, another one. They were, trying to, they were trying to split hairs. When you said spoken, you should have meant written. Okay, so they were. This is the way that the defense uh, argued that the state had not proved, or the the government had not proved its case that Dinchenko had lied. So, Milian, a Belarusian American, is somewhere overseas and beyond U.S. subpoena power. So he did not have to testify. He refused to do so, even though he submitted to phone interviews with Durham. Denials that he ever communicated with Dinchenko were thus hearsay, inadmissible at the trial. That left the prosecution without a direct witness to the non-event. Milian declined to testify that it did not happen, and Danchenko's counsel, correctly perceiving that the government's case was weak without Milian's testimony, kept Danchenko off the stand 
banking on convincing the jury that Durham could not prove his case beyond a reasonable doubt. In addition, Dinchenko sowed doubt to counter the phone records, pointing out that the conversation could have taken place over an Internet app rather than a terrestrial cell or satellite phone. To hedge Danchenko's bets, his lawyers also argued that he never definitively told the FBI that he was sure the person with whom he spoke was Millian, only that he believed it was probably Millian. And so he got acquitted on all four of those counts because Durham could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he had lied. All right, so what does all of this mean? We'll get to that in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So Andy McCarthy at National Review says Igor Danchenko's acquittal is obviously a blow to Russiagate special counsel John Durham, but it's secondary in importance. From a public interest standpoint, far more consequential was the prosecution's proof of egregious misconduct on the part of the FBI in Crossfire Hurricane, which was the bureau's code name for the trump russia investigation now i don't know if i agree with mccarthy on that i mean i agree that it's a blow to durham i don't think it's secondary in importance i think it would probably be tied for first i would i mean i would like to have had the the convictions right that it's much easier than to argue that there's a there there right oh look there's smoke and then there's fire oh my gosh right but now you can't argue that and it gave a lot of people on the left and in the media, but I repeat myself, the opportunity to dismiss all of Durham's investigation because he didn't get a uh, he didn't get convictions, and he didn't get a conviction of Michael Sussman either, the lawyer that lied and went to the FBI and planted the information originally. Um, he did get a conviction of Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI guy that lied on the FISA court application, although Smith got a slap on the wrist and got his uh, his bar uh, or his license to practice at the bar restored. So all in all, not a great track record for Durham. His four-year investigation has, although, concluded that the claim that Trump colluded with the Kremlin was, in fact, a political smear concocted by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the FBI was a willing collaborator in peddling it, including to the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, in four different sworn applications between October 2016 and June of 2017. There were four of these applications sworn to under penalty of perjury, right, that they were predicated in substantial part on the Steele dossier. That dossier was compiled by Christopher Steele, former British spy, and his subsource was Igor Denchenko. Steele's work was sponsored by the Clinton campaign through two different intermediaries. Clinton's lawyer, Mark Elias, hired the information firm Fusion GPS, which in turn retained Christopher Steele, who then recruited Igor Denchenko. The FBI knew that Steele was rabidly anti-Trump. They knew this. They knew that his faux intelligence reports were unverified political opposition research. 
Bombshell evidence in the trial established that the Bureau even offered to pay Christopher Steele a million dollars if he could prove his outlandish anti-Trump allegations. But he could not. Now, by the way, a couple weeks ago when I read that, uh, when it's going over the details from the trial, I was quoting a Fox News report that said they offered him a million dollars, essentially a bribe. They offered him a million dollars to corroborate the uh, the allegations in the dossier. And Fox News reported that that had occurred last year. That was incorrect. That was incorrect. In fact, I got a I got a message from somebody in Congress asking, hey, you were talking about this. Is this true? And so I sent them the Fox News story. They then inquired with people on Capitol Hill. They got it straightened out. They went to Fox and Fox then corrected that story. Because what happened was actually October 2016 is when they offered him the money, not last year. So just feel like I need to correct the record there because I found that out when I was down sick. So um, now I've corrected the record. So there is a correction. The, the, the FBI asked Steele, hey, can you corroborate this? Here's a million dollars if you can do it. That did not happen last year. It happened in October 2016. Okay, so they offered him this money. He could not do it. Nevertheless, the FBI relied on Steele's claims in applying under oath for surveillance warrants from the FISA court. Which actually, I mean, either way, it's bad, right? You offered him a million dollars. Hey, you said some really crazy things like, you know, paying the hookers to pee on the beds and all that in Moscow. So uh, what's up? Can you uh, corroborate any of this? No, what are you kidding? I can't corroborate any of that. I guess he's British, so uh, it would be like, uh, of course not, mate. I can't. I can't corroborate any of that. And then they were like, well, here's a million dollars. And he says, oh, bollocks, I can't confirm it even for a million dollars. That's a terrible British accent. I know, I know, it's terrible. But he could not corroborate it, could not take the million dollars, yet the FBI went and applied for the warrants anyway. So what started out in trial with John Durham kind of tap dancing around the idea that, well, the FBI, they got suckered by Christopher Steele and Igor Danchenko and the other guy, uh, Dolan, who was, you know, one of the, uh, one of the DNC people, you know, they got, they got taken for a ride. The FBI got taken for a ride in all of this. And what McCarthy is arguing is that that's not the case. And that's what Durham has actually proved that the FBI was actually collaborators in making this happen. They knew it was false. They proceeded even though they knew it was. And the acquittal of Danchenko, who lied to the FBI, lends credibility to that argument. Because they're saying he didn't lie to the FBI. He told them what they thought they should know. But the FBI apparently didn't do any kind of due diligence to ensure it was true and ignored all the evidence that it wasn't. So the FBI relied on the Steele dossier twice to get their surveillance warrants against Carter Page from the FISA court. Twice. And then they interviewed Igor Danchenko, who was the subsource for for Christopher Steele. Although he told the interviewing agents at that time that Steele's information was bogus. 
the FBI withheld the substance of that interview from the DOJ, from the unit inside the DOJ that oversees the FISA court applications, and from the FISA court itself. Okay, so you had four applications. Two of them were submitted before they interviewed Danchenko. After they interviewed Danchenko, where he says, yeah, all that stuff that Steele put in there, that's all garbage. They then went back to the court two more times and got their surveillance warrants re-upped, knowing that Danchenko told them it was bogus information. Durham is, uh, is expected to produce a report uh, either late this year or early 2023. And um, uh, Andy McCarthy at National Review says it's more than likely going to be ignored by the media Democrat complex. The acquittals will give Durham's critics all the ammo they need to argue that findings in his report should be dismissed as well. All right, so that's what's coming. And here's a perfect example of it. Jonathan Chait, New York Magazine. John Durham's latest and presumably final humiliation is the capstone of his failed attempt to prove a conspiracy theory that has long been accepted and settled fact in the conservative universe. Right, so everything that I've just outlined to Jonathan Chait is a complete conspiracy theory. The actual events of this period are clear. So here's what so this is the explanation from Jonathan Chait at New York Magazine. Trump began exhibiting a suspicious pattern of behavior in relation to Russia. He lavished its dictator with praise, surrounded himself with people who were sympathetic to and or paid by Moscow, hinted at his own business deals with Russia, but defied precedent by refusing to publish his tax returns, and appointed a man who managed the presidential run of a Russian puppet in another country as his own campaign manager. That was Paul Manafort. Now, all of those things can be true, by the way. All of those things are true. And by the way, this is also one of the reasons why I was, yes, I wanted to hear as much information as possible about this, because there are a lot of people in Trump's orbit that have a lot of connections to Russia, and they may be explainable, and they may not. I would like to know. But I'm, that's, that's who I am. I'm, I would like more information. Generally speaking, I want more info, not less. Many people were alarmed by these things, and they wanted to get to the bottom of them. It is true that the same people also did not want Trump to win the election. Oh, okay, so now we have an admission that the people who ran the operation against Trump did not want him to win and were in a position to make sure that didn't happen, right? We won't let him. Remember that text from Peter Strzok to Lisa Page? When Lisa Page was like, he's not going to win, is he? And what did Strzok say? No, he won't. We won't let him. And when asked about that by Trey Gowdy in, at the congressional hearings, Peter Strzok, through his smirking uh, head bobbing, he says what? I meant we the people. We the voters. Mm-hmm. Right. You're, all of your texts about an insurance policy and not letting Trump get into the office and all that. That, had, that. that was all about, you know, elections, of course. Yes, it was a get-out-the-vote mention. <laughs> it was a reference to get-out-the-vote operations. So then he goes on, Chate says uh, that, okay, fine, yes, it is true that the same people who did not want Trump to win the election were, you know, trying to get to the bottom of all this, but it completely misapprehends their motives to assume their only goal for investigating his 
deeply suspicious Russia connections was a desire to smear him. If anything, this rationale is backwards. See, Trump's ties to Russia made national security officials oppose him. You see, the, the, the miniskirt was a little too, little too short, don't you see? What national security official would be happy about having a president who was in bed with and creepishly submissive to one of the country's biggest global enemies? I don't know. They didn't seem to care when Barack Obama told Dmitry Medvedev, you know, he'll have a little bit more flexibility once he gets past the election. Nobody seemed to care about that. Nobody seemed to care about the dismissiveness of Mitt Romney calling Russia the geopolitical foe they are and Oh, that's just 80s foreign policy. They called it once it's foreign policy. Back. Oh, no, no, they didn't care about it then. Or, or how about China? Seemed like Donald Trump was tough on China, right? He was tough on China. But so, so he's friends with Russia, but tough on China. And whatever, we're supposed to just put a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, weight to the Russia component, but none to the Chinese component. Why is that? Look, I, again, I wanted all the information. I had concerns about the Russia connections. I don't think, look, I've said from the very beginning, you don't build casinos in New Jersey and not have some sort of connection to unsavory types. Okay. But, I, but you know, I grew up in New York. So that like, that's baked into my, uh, my DNA. I'm sorry. I'm going to look, I'm going to look at a casino builder. Uh, in, I'm going to look at a real estate developer in the tri-city area or the tri-state area rather. And I'm going to say, yeah, probably connected. Because they're probably connected. Anyway, Durham failed to uncover any conspiracy because it did not exist. He tried to charge Michael Sussman with lying to the FBI only for Sussman to be acquitted by a D.C. jury that, yeah, okay. Durham then tried to charge Igor Denchenko with lying to the FBI only for the jury to acquit him as well. The charges failed because, contrary to Durham's insinuations, neither man was acting in bad faith. They were both trying, sometimes in a bumbling fashion, like burn after reading, to pass on to the FBI what they thought they knew about a murky but genuinely unnerving situation. See, here's the problem. This is Trump derangement syndrome. That's the problem. Even if you give them and describe to them the best motives, as Chait is doing here, rather than, you know, Assuming the worst, assuming that these people were motivated, that the investigators were motivated by animosity towards Trump. But we're going to give the, the, the sources the benefit of the doubt. We're going to assume the best of motives. We assume then that, oh, well, they were just, you know, they were worried. They were concerned. And so that's why they brought all this stuff, even though it was all bogus, even though it was all made up. They brought it to the FBI, which then lied about the veracity of the claims in order to get surveillance warrants and then lied about whether Carter Page had connections to the CIA, which they knew he did, but they lied saying he didn't. They changed that answer on the form in order to get the warrants. And I'm supposed to just ignore all of that and ascribe to them the best of intentions, that they just really were afraid Donald Trump was going to win and they were afraid that he was a Kremlin puppet. And then it turned out he wasn't. Oh, okay. Well, our bad. Sorry about all of that. We probably shouldn't have taken that oppo research from Hillary's team. That's the believable excuse. That's the most believable motive. I'm, I, I'm not buying it. Even if I want to say Igor Denchenko 
was acting in good faith, which, by the way, I don't believe he was. I believe that he got off because he was able to create reasonable doubt, not because he was not guilty. But I, seriously, like that's – if Miliana testified, Danchenko probably goes down. That's a, that, that was the deciding factor. But what comes out of the trial is, as McCarthy said, proof that the FBI had all of these opportunities to take the off-ramp, and they didn't. They kept going because they were politically motivated. Over at AmericanThinker.com, Jack Cashel writes about Durham's trial. The co-counsel that Durham had, Michael Kilty, in his opening statement, said the evidence in this trial will show that the Steele dossier would cause the FBI to engage in troubling conduct that would ultimately result in the extended surveillance of the United States citizens. That conduct, the trial revealed, including offering Christopher Steele what amounted to a million-dollar bribe to corroborate his infamous dossier, paying Danchenko to be a confidential human source after he proved to be a serial liar, and basing a multi-year persecution of President Trump on information the FBI had every reason to believe was bunk. The attempted bribe revealed on day one of the trial, should have stopped the presses. But the media ignored it. Chait ignored it. Jonathan Chait ignored it in his New York Magazine piece, right? The offer reeks of desperation. The FBI made it in early October 2016, two weeks before it filed the first FISA application against American businessman Carter Page. As the FBI officials admitted, Steele did not and could not provide anything corroborating, ever. Yet... Without any corroboration, the FBI went ahead and filed not just one, not two, not three, but four FISA applications against Page with the unproven steel information as its foundation. That is a clear violation of FISA law. One of the guys that got let off the hook without um, going to trial was Charles, Charles Dolan. Right? He was not innocent at all. A longtime Democratic operative with Russian ties, Dolan was Igor Denchenko's principal subsource. Okay, so so Danchenko was the source for Steele, and Dolan was the source for Danchenko. And Dolan just made stuff up and fed it to Jan, uh, to Danchenko, who then fed it to Steele, who then fed it to the Clinton campaign and the media and the FBI, who all collectively shared all of this nonsense with the world for years. At the trial's end, the judge dismissed the one count involving Charles Dolan. And this was billed as a blow to Durham. But Dolan was not on trial. By tying the FBI investigation back to the Hillary campaign and the DNC, Durham accomplished what he needed to do. A further revelation of the trial was that the FBI leadership resisted all efforts by its agents to interview Dolan or share information about him with the Mueller investigation. The word hoax does not do the Russian investigation justice. Greatest political scandal ever is closer to the mark. As Durham proved, the FBI and the DOJ turned a willfully blind eye to the dirtiest trick in the nation's political history, and the media gave themselves awards for covering it all up. In addition to exposing the conscious malfeasance of the FBI brass, John Durham also established the organizational structure of the whole Russia investigation, from the FBI's Operation Crossfire Hurricane all the way through to the Mueller inquiry. This information should prove useful in any future investigation when the real culprits are indicted on 
RICO charges. RICO charges. This is what, hang on, I got a uh, tweet about this, actually, from Justin, who said, Durham would never have been able to bring charges on the bigger players. Think really big. Without getting this evidence admitted into the court record, this will be a RICO case of the key players. Margot Cleveland at TheFederalist.com says the criminal case against Danchenko confirmed that Crossfire Hurricane was never properly predicated and that instead politics prompted the targeting of Donald Trump's presidential campaign. This conclusion follows from two facts. First, Igor Danchenko told a colleague that he knew people who would buy classified information. The FBI did not launch a full investigation into the Russian until obtaining corroborating evidence. That's the first uh, fact. Second, as revealed during the Danchenko trial, the FBI refused to open an investigation into Charles Dolan, as some members of the special counsel Robert Mueller's team believed to be appropriate. Okay, so Mueller's team, when they're brought in to do their probe, which I supported, I wanted more information. Let's hear it. Get to the bottom of it. But you got people that were involved in that investigation that said, we got to look in this guy, uh, look into this guy, Charles Dolan, because he was feeding Danchenko information. And Mueller's team, the brass, whoever made the call, was that Weissman? I don't know. But whoever was that made the call inside DOJ, as part of the Mueller probe, they were like, no, don't go after Dolan. In December of 2019, the Department of Justice's Office of Inspector General issued a scathing 478-page report on the DOJ and FBI's abuse of the FISA court to obtain a court order to surveil Carter Page. This was Michael Horowitz's report, and they identified 17 specific inaccuracies and omissions contained in the FISA application. There were actually 18, but Horowitz also concluded that Crossfire Hurricane had been properly predicated under the attorney general guidelines and had been opened for an authorized purpose and without any evidence of a political motivation. All of that is now upended by what Durham brought. Do we see another investigation? I think we're going to need Republicans in control of Congress for that. 